I quit. Have you ever felt desperate to speak those words? Desperate to quit a job, a relationship, a volunteer position. I quit to learning a new skill, finishing a project, chasing a dream. Sure you have. We all have. Sometimes quitting is the best possible decision a person can make. I made the decision to quit playing my boys in one-on-one basketball when they got good enough to beat me. That was sometime around the age of 18 for them, or, or maybe was it 12? I, I don't know. It doesn't really matter. The point is, it was the right decision for me to make in order to continue to love them well. My boys are great trash talkers, and of course, they blame it on their upbringing by me. It was the right time to quit. You know when's never the right time to quit? When it involves matters of faith. In trusting in and living out the ways of Jesus. There's no way that we're going to impact the world the way that we're destined to if we quit too soon. And we are destined to make an impact. As Peter reminds us in 2 Peter chapter 1, we've been given everything that we need by God, His power and promises to live an effective and productive life. There is one condition, though. We must add certain qualities to our faith. And those qualities are listed in verse 5 through 7. Let's pick up Peter's thought in verse 5. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness knowledge, and to knowledge self-control, and to self-control perseverance. There it is. If we're going to live the type of life that blesses others and really makes our little corner of the world a better place, then we then quitting must not be an option. We must go all out to keep, to keep going. Is this easy? It's not, because life is not easy. Life is full of pain and frustration, difficulties, trials, Is it easy to hang on to your faith when life doesn't seem fair and God doesn't seem to care? It wasn't for Job's wife. She was absolutely mystified that her husband didn't bless out God and quit on life after experiencing such profound loss. Her exact words were these in Job chapter 2 and verse 9. Are you still maintaining your integrity? Curse God and die. Is it easy to keep your till death do us part vow? when you feel trapped in an unfulfilling marriage? Well, this past year, the divorce statistics actually went down, which is good news, but there were still 782,000 couples who decided to throw in the towel. Is it easy to continue to do good when it doesn't seem to make a difference and nobody seems to notice? Not according to the thousands of volunteers who resign every single year out of extreme frustration. Is it easy to continue to work towards transformation when the results are few and far between? Well, if it was, there wouldn't be so many people who quit on their Bible study, their diet, their exercise, their budget, and or their recovery group meetings every single day. So, how do you persevere when you really want to quit? Well, this morning we're going to focus on the story of one man who wanted to quit. Not just any man, but a prophet of God. And not just any prophet of God, but the great prophet Elijah. For those of you who may not know or recall, on one particular occasion, Elijah courageously challenged King Ahab and the prophets of Baal to a showdown to see whose God was mightier. The crux of the challenge was this. 
whose God, upon request, would rain down fire from heaven to burn up meat on an altar. It's an amazing story. But for the sake of time, here's what you need to know. Elijah's God, the living God, he showed up and he showed out. Baal, he went MIA. It it was a decisive victory. It was the kind of victory that should have left Elijah riding high for weeks to come. But instead, Elijah was soon in the depths of despair. You say, what? Why? What what happened? Here's what happened. King Ahab's wife, Jezebel, one of the wickedest women to ever walk the face of the earth, made a threat, a really a promise, that she was going to kill Elijah, just like she had done so many other prophets of God. This would kind of be like getting word from El Chapo that he's coming after you and your family. (laughs) Now that's a threat that you're going to take seriously. When Elijah caught word of this threat, he made a beeline out of town. In fact, he ran all the way from Jezreel to Beersheba, a total of 90 miles in distance. He got out of there. Was that a wise decision? At first glance, it appears so. But I would argue that really he played right into the hands of Jezebel. If this woman wanted to kill him, she could have easily done so without warning. But instead, she gave him this 24-hour window of opportunity to get out of town. Why did she do that? Well, I would suggest it was because she realized that if he quit on his commitment to God, it would discredit both he and his God. It's the same thing that Satan wanted to do to Job. Satan didn't really want to kill Job. He simply wanted to hurt him to the point that Job came to the decision that he was going to quit on God. This man who was good and righteous and had done so much good in the name of God, Satan was hoping he would discredit God in the end. Make no mistake, it's the same goal that Satan has for each one of us. It's so easy to believe that if I quit, and quit on my faith, my marriage, Morality, ministry, it's not really going to affect anybody else but me. It's just not true, though. The ripple effect of that type of decision is far greater than most of us realize. Quitting causes pain, confusion, leaves other people in the lurch. And sometimes it gives people the excuse that they've been waiting for to quit themselves. Thinking about those who will suffer from a decision to quit can provide the motivation to keep going when life is hard, when answers are few, and when faith is hard to come by. Elijah was ready to quit, not just his prophetic ministry, but his life. Let's pick up the story in 1 Kings chapter 19 and verse 3 through 5. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. He came to a broom bush, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I I am no better than my ancestors. And then he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. To this weary, frightened man who was declaring, I quit, what did God say? He said nothing. He didn't chastise Elijah for his lack of faith. He didn't give him three reasons why it would be better for him to hang in there. He made the decision to simply take care of this man. 
verse 5 through 7. All at once an angel touched him and said, Get up and eat. He looked around, and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, Get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. Instead of trying to talk Elijah into a better decision, God gave Elijah what he needed to make the best decision that he could. He gave him rest and drink and food and more rest. So many times when we're at that point of getting ready to quit, this is exactly what we need, isn't it? We need time. We need space. We need care so that we can actually begin to use logic and reason rather than being ruled by our emotions as we try to make a decision. Now, in and of themselves, our emotions are good. They are given to us by God to to heal us and protect us. There's no reason to be afraid of our emotions, but we better question them. Why? Well, emotions love to give advice, but the downside is they're not very good at it. Grief tells you to quit on God. Shame tells you to hide from God. Desire tells you to ignore God. Failure tells you to stop trying. Anger and hurts, it tells you to end a relationship. You see, your emotions are always going to try to convince you to quit way before you should. And really, the odds of us trying to argue our way out of an emotion, those are slim to none. But we can put emotions in their proper place through proper self-care, good rest, exercise, proper diet, fun. It's absolutely crucial to surviving the hardships of life. Now notice once Elijah was rested, God led him to a new location. We continue the story in verse 8. So he got up and ate and drank. Strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. Why Horeb? Well, another name for Horeb is Mount Sinai. It's the very place that God led Moses and the Israelites after he led them out of Egyptian captivity centuries before this. Now, I have to believe that being in this place reminded Elijah, or at least this is what God was trying to impress on Elijah, that, hey, listen, if I could handle Pharaoh, don't you know that I can handle Jezebel? And in the same way, we're reminded this morning that if God could handle Pharaoh, and if he could handle Jezebel, don't you think that he can handle the the painful, frightening, scary threats in your life? Well, of course he can. Now, does this mean that he'll always handle those situations in the way that we desire? No, it doesn't mean that at all. In fact, oftentimes what God does, it makes no sense to us. But here's what we have to remember. We have to remember that God is far more knowledgeable and far more capable of caring for us than we are for ourselves. Those who persevere have a deep trust that God is leading them to a place of joy and peace, of healing and freedom if they'll just stick with him. Now, it may not be today or next week or next week or even next decade, but a better day is coming. Full life in Jesus Christ 
is coming. New life and the new heavens and the new earth, it's coming. And it's this future focus that helps so many of the great heroes of faith keep going even though they were misunderstood and mistreated. As we are reminded in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 16, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. And it's this future focus that will help us keep going as well. Now, I don't think Elijah or God brought Elijah to this place simply to remind him of his capability. God, I believe, brought Elijah to this place also to remind him of his great purpose for the nation of Israel. A purpose that was given to Moses at this very location of Mount Sinai originally. We go back to Exodus chapter 19 and we hear these words in verse 3 through 6. Then Moses went up to God and the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, This is what you are to say to the descendants of Jacob and what you are to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did in Egypt and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations, you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Being in this place surely reminded Elijah that he was a part of this plan as well that he was a part of this kingdom of priests, this holy nation that was going to bless the entire world and bring glory to God. And so are we. Jump centuries ahead to the words of Peter in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 9. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Those who persevere are fully aware that God's purposes are far greater than they are. That no matter what happens, they must continue because they've been given a role to play in this great story of God. Now, that's not to say that if you or I decided to drop out and quit, that we're irreplaceable. But it is simply to remind us that we've been given a unique role to play that nobody else can really play the exact same way when it comes to bringing glory to God through living a holy life and and doing good and sharing our faith. And for those who truly believe this, quitting is not an option. They go all out to keep going. Now, when God led to Elijah to this place, he initiated a conversation with him by asking a simple question. And the simple question was this, what are you doing here, Elijah? And in response to that question, Elijah poured out his heart to God about his frustrations and disappointments. Listen to what he said to the Lord. Verse 10 of 1 Kings chapter 19. He replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. Can you relate to that feeling at all? God, I've tried so many different times to get the family interested in sitting down to have a time of Bible study and prayer, but they just rolled their eyes at me. God, I've really done my best to share my faith with people, but nobody seems to be that interested. God, I have tried and tried to reconcile a relationship, but it just seems to fall on deaf ears. Lord, all that I get for living a life of integrity is a whole lot of grief from my friends. What's the point? 
of even trying. God's response to Elijah was for him to go out and stand on a mountain in his presence. And in that moment, on that mountain, something took place that I'm sure Elijah did not soon forget. We pick up the story in verse 11. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, there was an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. Why did God whisper? Well, there are several different possible explanations, but I appreciate the thoughts of one particular scholar who shares this idea. The point of God speaking in the still, small voice was to show Elijah that the work of God need not always be accompanied by dramatic revelation or manifestations. Divine silence does not necessarily mean divine inactivity. God's activity in people's lives and in the church and in communities is, also, is often in the subtle rather than the demonstrative. And we, while we may not see it now, in due time, we will see how God has been working in us and through our efforts if we'll just decide to stick in it with him. We're reminded of this by the Apostle Paul in Galatians chapter 6 and verse 7 through 10. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at a proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. It's not easy to keep going when things appear to be getting worse, not better. But knowing that God is always working, uh, sometimes in the, in the small ways rather than the demonstrative, sometimes in the quiet rather than the, the thunderous ways, that should provide the motivation for us to continue to do good in the name of, in the, name of the Lord. This moment surely made a huge impression on Elijah is one that he didn't really understand. You say, how do you know that? I know that because when God asked the question, hey, what are you doing here, Elijah, a second time? Elijah came back with that same, woe is me, nothing good is happening, I'm the only one left response. Was he the only one left? Not by a long shot. Listen again to the words of God in verse 18. Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal and whose mouths have not kissed him. Satan tries hard to convince us that we are the only ones left. We're the only parents who are left who are trying to be protective about what our kids watch on TV. We're the only church members left who are really serious about doing ministry. We're the only individuals left who are striving to live a life of integrity. Because here's what Satan knows. He knows that it's really hard to persevere when you're the last person left standing. Do you want to know how to see through that lie? Here's how you do it. Do life in community with other people. Do life in community with other parents who want the same things for their kids that you want for yours. 
Do life in community with church members who are serious about ministry. Do life in community with followers of Jesus who are serious about living a life of integrity. Because it is a whole lot easier to persevere when you're doing life with other people, like-minded people, rather than trying to simply do life on your own. It's one of the reasons that it's so very important for each and every one of us to be involved in a small group. Now, a couple of weeks ago, I mentioned that online you can find where some of our different small groups meet throughout the week. Some are meeting in backyards. Others are still meeting online. The day is coming. I know it seems like it's going to be a long time away, but the day is coming when we're going to all come back together. We're going to worship together. And I want to tell you now that when we come back together, I'm going to emphasize, I'm going to encourage that every single person who's a part of this community of faith has a small group that they're a part of. I've just found over 28 or so years of ministry, this is absolutely crucial to keep people tied in and following Jesus and not giving up. And so I want you to know that's going to be a major emphasis, at least as far as my ministry is concerned. I want to encourage you, if you have not taken that step, take this next step, find a community to be a part of. And if you need help in doing that, then please reach out to Brian Trader. I know he'd be happy to help you plug in to a group that's already uh, meeting together. So we wrap this up. Let me ask you a simple question. What do you need to start again? For some of us, we need to get back involved in ministry. Listen, it's okay at times to to step out of ministry. I I know that, for instance, if you've been teaching five-year-olds for the past 15 years, there comes a point where you say, you know, I I need a breather. I need to rest. And, And that's probably a wise decision. And so you take that season of rest, but there comes a point where you can't retire on the sideline. You need to plug back into ministry in some way. For some of us, we need to reinvest in our marriage and our family. Just because you live under the same roof, that does not a marriage or a family make. You got to invest time. You have to serve one another. You have to forgive one another. For some of us, we need to reinvest in our faith. Because of doubt or personal losses or failure, we've bowed out of the game for a season of time. That's not where you want to stay because there's just too much at stake. So I want to leave with you these words of warning, but also promise from the Hebrew writer in Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 35 and 36. So do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. Go all out to keep going. I promise you, it will be well worth it. This morning, if you reached a place in your life where you're just ready to throw in the towel, you're ready to say, I quit, you need some support this morning, we want to come alongside of you. If that means that we just listen to you, care for you, help you make some decisions for self-care, we want to do that. If we can pray for you, we want to do that. If we can step in in some other way, we want to be there for you. We'd simply ask you to reach out to us. You'll find a link online right now in which you can make a request for prayer or maybe some other need that you have in your life. Or if you'd prefer to do this later, send us an email. And please know, we want to be a church family that really does this together. I hope that you have a wonderful week.